This week, a special but bittersweet bonus episode of 2233, dedicated to a legendary ECA colleague and visionary, Rick Ruth. Imagine, you're sitting in your office in Washington, D.C. on September 11, 2001, watching the smoke rising from the Pentagon. Now imagine, you've spent your entire career as a U.S. diplomat working to build mutual understanding between the United States and other cultures. How you respond to this tragic event might just end up being your legacy. You're listening to 2233, a podcast of exchange stories. On this episode, a blind mathematician from Turkey, country music in Nebraska, and yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Join us on a journey from San Diego, California, all around the world, with extended stops in Russia, Jordan, and Saudi Arabia, and finally, Washington, D.C., and along the way, literally making the world a better place. It's 2233. We report what happens in the United States, warts and all. These exchanges shaped who I am. When you get to know these people, they're not quite like you. You read about them. They are people very much like ourselves. And that's what we call cultural exchange. My name is Rick Ruth. By title, I'm the senior advisor uh, at the Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs. What that means, in fact, on any given day is I do a broad range of things that have to do with how we carry out educational and cultural programs all around the world. I'm a very fortunate uh, person to have been able to participate in the creation or be present at the creation of a number of different parts of the Bureau, uh, the Office of Alumni Affairs, the Office of Evaluation. In fact, I helped create and name the Office of the Undersecretary for Public Diplomacy and Public Affairs. But when I look at the range of them, there's one that stands out from all the others, both because of the nature of the program and because of the origin of the program. And that is our high school program known as the YES program. It stands for Youth Exchange and Study. It is now called the Kennedy Luger Youth Exchange and Study Program because Congress has been very generous in supporting it over the years. And it was born directly out of 9-11. On that day, that terrible day, I could see from my office in the State Department the black smoke rising from the Pentagon where it had been struck by an airplane. And over the next few months, uh, I was privileged to be able to participate in a small steering committee that Secretary Powell put together to help steer the State Department response in the immediate aftermath to the attack, and there was a good deal of discussion about public diplomacy, and shortly afterwards I had a discussion with the then Assistant Secretary of State for Educational and Cultural Affairs, the marvelous Patricia Harrison, and we were looking for ways in which ECA could respond, because our reason for being is mutual understanding. And clearly, 9-11 was a brutal reminder about hatred and violence in the world and a fierce lack of understanding. 
what could we as a bureau do to respond? And what we came up with was the U.S. government's first high school exchange program for the Arab and Muslim world, where young men and women would come to the United States, spend an entire year at an American school, living with an American host family. The program's been in existence for 15 years now. It's reached about 10,000 participants, and I would say it has exceeded uh, whatever expectations we had for it and what it's been able to accomplish. There was a young woman from Turkey uh, who was blind uh, and was consumed with passion for mathematics. Uh, and in Turkey at that time, she was not able to take the university entrance exams because she was blind and simply made no sense to the, the culture at that time that she could have any possibility to do advanced work in that area. She came to the United States, went to an academy in Utah, where they were accustomed to working with people with various disabilities and discovered, in fact, you can pursue mathematics even if you're visually impaired, and was able to go back to Turkey and convince Turkish authorities that they should allow her to take the university exam. The first woman and first person with that kind of disability ever to be able to do it. Uh, the other examples of what YES students have done in the United States that stick in my mind are those young men and women who went to small towns and when I say small I mean 1,000, 2,000 people not a mosque and a hundred or five hundred miles and yet they were able to completely integrate into that uh, community. They taught soccer, they gave talks about Islam at local churches, they uh, taught Head Start in the local schools. There was one young woman, I remember in Nebraska, who even started writing country and western songs about her experience. Uh, and it's just a fabulous way that people come to know each other and understand the commonalities that we have. of the age where he was planning to get married soon, and his mother was making all the arrangements. He was going to have an arranged marriage. And of course, this flies in the face of the American notion of the individual and love at first sight and lightning striking and all these sorts of things. And I may have had a sort of quizzical expression on my face, and he looked at me and he said, who loves me more than my mother? Who would do a better job of finding me a partner for life than my own mother? Well, I certainly had no argument with that. I wasn't, I, I thought that made eminent sense, although I had certainly never thought of it that way. Uh, and on a, perhaps a, a different kind of level, I was talking to a Saudi man at one point in my office and he got a phone call that he had to take and looked a little bit agitated. And he got up and said, I'm sorry, you know, I have to excuse me, I have to go. My father's been in a car accident. He's not hurt, he's perfectly fine. That was just my wife talking. Uh, but the other man who was at fault in the accident has been taken to jail. Now, it happened to be that this was Ramadan, and therefore it was extremely important to every family in Saudi Arabia to be home at the time uh, when the daylight ended so they could break the Ramadan fast together with their family. And he said, I have to go. Not He was not going to see his father in the first instance. He knew he was fine. He was going to the police station to make sure they let the other driver go so he could be there with his family for Ramadan.
knife on my desk in the office that I purchased in the town of Yingasar, which is in Xinjiang province uh, in western China. It's the largely uh, populated by Uyghurs uh, who are Muslim. And Yingasar has been a stop on the Silk Road for centuries, and they have made knives there for centuries. That's their specialty. And of course, being a red-blooded American, when I'm surrounded by knives, I have to buy a knife. Uh, and I happened to be there, very fortunately, with my two sons. Uh, and all three of us had to buy knives, of course, and we spent the entire day uh, looking at knife shops and workshops and so forth. And so what I remember uh, when I see that knife on my desk is that there was the marvelous travel uh, and the experience and the humanity of the engagement with the people there. But I remember that I was there with my two boys uh, and that on the last night we sort of had a toast. Not that we were there, but that we all three wanted to be there. And for a parent, it doesn't get any better. My family and my relatives are scattered all around the country. They come from Florida, California, they're in small towns in Tennessee and Kentucky. Uh, so they have, they cover the political spectrum. They think everything about different, uh, you know, questions of the day. But they all have one thing in common when I talk about what I do, and that is, why doesn't our government do more of that? Because one thing they all share is a belief in how important American values are. They talk about the Declaration of Independence, they talk about the Constitution, they talk about freedom, and the values that define why we're a great country and why hopefully we're a good country as well. And they just wonder, why don't we lead with that? Values are our greatest strength. I think what fascinates them most, quite honestly, at that sort of very human, visceral level, if you will, is all the strange things I've eaten around the world. Uh, fried tarantulas, sheep lung, duck eyeballs. These are the things one does for one's country. Twenty-two-thirty-three is produced by the Collaboratory, an initiative within the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs, better known as ECA. My name's Christopher Wurst. I'm the director of the Collaboratory. Twenty-two-thirty-three is named for Title Twenty-Two, Chapter Thirty-Three of the U.S. Code, the statute that created ECA. And our stories come from participants of U.S. government-funded international exchange programs. This week, an ode to Rick Ruth, ECA's senior advisor for more than a decade. For more about YES and other ECA exchange programs, check out eca.state.gov. We encourage you to subscribe to 2233, leave us a nice review while you're at it, and we'd love to hear from you. Write to us at ecacollaboratory at state.gov. That's E-C-A-C-O-L-L-A-B-O-R-A-T-O-R-Y at state.gov. Photos of each week's interviewee and complete episode transcripts can be found at our webpage at eca.state.gov slash And finally, you can follow us on Instagram at 2233stories. My former colleague and newly minted U.S. diplomat, Yustra Ghazi, did this interview 
and edited this segment. Featured music was Daylight Savings by David Helowitz and Balloons Rising by A.A. Alto. Music at the top of each episode is Sebastian by How the Night Came, and the end credit music is Two Pianos by Tagirlius. Until next time. <laughs>